0: Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. As you're doing that, let me say again, welcome. We are glad you are with us. And um, if you are joining us online, a special welcome to you as well. And glad that you are able to do that and you've chosen to do that. What a blessing it is to have God's Word. And He has spoken in and through His Word and He continues to speak in His Word And I just want to tell you that if you came today to hear from God, you're getting ready to, not because of me, not because I'm standing here, but because God has spoken and God speaks today in his word. So be reminded that God is here and I trust that none of us will leave unchanged because of that. As we have been going through James, uh, James has given us a lot over uh, these past many months as we've gone through this book. We're nearing the end, and like I said last time, we're slowing down a bit here in James chapter 5 because we want to look at this section on prayer a little more closely. We want to see um, it in light of the whole book. Uh, remember that that James started off his encourage his his book this epistle with encouragement to those who were suffering to those undergoing trials and he encouraged them and he encourages us in the passage in the pages of scripture to remain steadfast in trial and he also talked about prayer there in chapter one where he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and and does not withhold that, but, but will answer that prayer. And here at the end, he's also talking about prayer. So in a sense, he kind of bookends his epistle with these sections on prayer. And really what we need to understand and, and what I kind of want to have in your mind as a framework for all of the things we're saying here this morning and in these passages on prayer is that prayer should... Bathe the whole Christian life. So we're we're looking at this, and um, we're we're looking at it this morning, this this passage on prayer, um, in in kind of a narrow sense to try to understand what he's saying about this this section on healing and what it means. Um, hopefully, in, in sometime very soon, we can look at at this section a little more broadly to understand some of the more general aspects of the text. So let's jump in, but before we do, uh, let me pray and then we'll read this text. Lord God, we need your help. And as we come to your word, we recognize that that we fall short. Uh, Lord, our minds are often clouded and Lord, we are distracted. So Lord, we pray that you would give us clarity this morning, that you would give us grace to understand your word. Lord, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword. Lord, your spirit has inspired these words, and I pray, Lord, that you would apply them to our hearts and lives today. Give us grace as we study your word, and Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. James 5, beginning with verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word. We lived in Jackson, Mississippi, for five years while I was attending seminary at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. And one of the things that Jackson is known for, unfortunately, is its terrible roads. Now, now there's a there's I, I see somebody shaking their head back there that's that's been driving over them recently. There's a lot of reasons that could go into that. That's not the point of me telling you this, but the 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 thing that I remember about s- uh, some of the worst roads is you had to slow down and you had to kind of pick your way through them to avoid falling into some of the deep potholes that develop in those roads they were so bad that that sometimes you would see cars parked alongside the road with their tires severely damaged or or a a wheel that's sitting askew because of the damage to their suspension as i was thinking about this text i was thinking I, I kind of need to drive like I'm on a Jackson Road as I go through this text because there's, it's kind of fraught with misinterpretation and danger about how this text has been and could be interpreted. So I covet your prayers as we, as we consider this text, but we can be confident that this is God's word, that he has spoken and he does give grace to help us understand his word. We want to see this... ...in light of uh, the context that it is... ...and in light of the context of the rest of Scripture as well... ...and what the Bible says about prayer in other places. By way of introduction, we should say that... ...James has given us situations in which prayer is appropriate. He has said in verse 13... ...we talked about the the two things in verse 13. Last time when we looked at James, he said, "Is, "...is anyone suffering? Let him pray." is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And here in verse 14, and we're going to deal primarily with 14 through 18 today, he says, is anyone sick? Here's what you do. You call for the elders to pray over you and anoint with oil. In other words, all of life should be bathed with prayer. There's not a situation in a Christian's life in which prayer is not appropriate. And if you are walking or seeking to walk the Christian life, and you do not pray, let me say to you that is not normal. Unfortunately, it may be common, but it is not normal, and it is not what Scripture calls us to do. The normal expectation if for a child of God is that they will expect and, and be drawn into communion with their Father. So let us look at this text under three headings the process, the prayer, and then briefly, an example of prayer. First of all, the process. And I think it's helpful as we look at a text, especially one like this, that has been and, and continues to be misinterpreted in many circles, that we slow down and look at it. So what is the process? Well, when we consider the process, we have to consider the parties in the process to begin with. What are the, who are the parties that are dealt with? Well, it's the sick person, it's the elders, and it's the church. First of all, let's consider the sick person. Who are they? Well, they seem to be different from the person that is simply suffering in in the previous verse. Because that person is called to pray. Here, this person that is suffering under sickness calls for others to pray for them. That leads us to believe that perhaps they are homebound. Maybe even bedridden. Maybe they cannot get up from their bed. Perhaps, we don't know for sure, but perhaps they are so stricken with pain or the chronic conditions that they are enduring that they feel like they cannot pray for themselves. The word here that's translated sick can also mean weak or feeble. And while, as we said, the one who is suffering is commanded to pray, this person calls for others to pray over them. They certainly know that their situation is serious. And they call for the leaders of the church to pray for them. They seem to know that God is their healer. That God is the one to whom they should appeal. But they also know that God works through the prayers of his people. It's implied that they've submitted themselves to the oversight and care of the elders of the local congregation. Because what we see in here is there's a spiritual aspect to this as well. And it's interesting that 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 James here weaves together the physical and the spiritual in such a way as you read this text and you you almost want to say, James, what are you saying? Is this a physical healing or is this a spiritual healing? Because he talks about being saved. He talks about forgiveness of sins. He talks about restoration. And I think James would say yes, because this, often our spiritual and, and Physical conditions are very intertwined. And we need to recognize that God is at work in all of these things. So as we think about this, we need to see the spiritual aspect of it as well. And this person who is sick has submitted themselves to the oversight of the elders. They're humble enough to recognize their own sin. And that there may be a link between their illness and their sin. Now let me be very careful here. And encourage you because james is not saying that their sickness is caused by sin and so often there has been greater pain inflicted upon those who are already suffering by well-meaning friends who would say as job's so-called friends did why what is your sin see your suffering what is your sin and and much of job is him saying no it's not my sin it is God, for whatever reason, has chosen to allow me to suffer. So be careful, because we should never say that sickness is caused by sin. But neither is James saying that there's not a link between suffering and even sickness and sin. And we see things in Scripture that help us to keep a balance, hopefully a healthy, healthy balance, in this. Because... Remember when Jesus encountered the man who had been born blind. His disciples said, Lord, who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents? And Jesus' reply was, neither. It's not about that. It's that so God's work may be seen in this man. As we mentioned, Job teaches us that, that illness and calamity is not necessarily a result of sin in our life. But Jesus also taught that there can be a connection between suffering and sin. He commanded the man in John 5, whom he had just healed, he said, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So we should never automatically assume that our sickness is caused by sin, but neither should we assume that there's not a connection as well. And and times of suffering should be times of soul searching. It should be times in which we say, Lord, what are you doing in me? What is your purposes in this? I heard a podcast earlier this year where Tim Keller, who is battling pancreatic cancer, and they asked him how he was doing, and he said this. He said, I'm not battling cancer. I'm battling sin. And that hit me so hard because what he was saying, he was not saying my cancer is caused by sin. He said, God is at work in my cancer. God is at work conforming me to Christ in and through this suffering that I am enduring. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is how we should view our suffering. God has called us to draw us to himself in our trials. The sick one calls for the elders to come and minister to them. And we need to see both the physical and spiritual aspects of this. That brings us to the next of the parties in this process, and that is the elders, We know, of course, we are Presbyterians, and that points to the fact that we are an elder-led church, among other things, And, and we hopefully understand and appreciate that the elders have been charged with the care and the oversight of God's people They are to be men of prayer. Acts 20 gives us a a little more full-orbed description of them. It talks about them being overseers of the flock of God, shepherds over the church, those who guard and protect the flock from from false teaching and those that would injure the flock in any way. In Acts 6, we see that the elders were were called to give themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. So the elders are to be spiritual men, men of prayer and men of faith. They are to love the flock and care for them. Now, some have said that this passage only applies to the apostolic age because the apostolic age was one that was marked by miracles. But it seems because of the fact that that this is the role um, or the job given to the elders that this is something ongoing for the church today because it was elders that the apostles appointed to rule the church in the early days and continuing on till the return of christ therefore i see this as an ongoing ministry of the local church but let's try to understand what this is the third party in the process is the church and we have to understand that while It is something with the sick person and the elders praying for them. There is a community aspect to this as well. The elders are the ones to pray over the sick one, but it is the church that comes alongside and ministers by listening to them and praying for them. Verse 16, look with me if you will. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, Lord willing, we're going to talk more about confession in a later sermon, um, but let me just say this. The confession that, that this is talking about is is more of, I think, a, a seeking to be real with one another, if, if I can say it that way. In, in sharing your struggles with one another, in, in allowing your brother or sister in Christ to walk alongside you and pray for you. In the areas of your weakness this is another of those great one another passages that teach us that we are not to live in isolation we are called to do life together we've been created for relationship we're brothers and sisters in Christ we're we're to consider one another like family because we are family and the things described in this verse point to the fact that our relationships are to be more than superficial. We are to truly know and care for one another. We should know one another. Because if we're going to confess to one another, we need to have the kind of relationships where we feel safe to confess to one another. So let me encourage you. Seek to foster those kinds of relationships. Obviously, you can't have a deep soul bearing relationship with every single person in the church if if um but but you can do that with one or two or three you can do that with a small group you can do that in some sense with your community group and that's why we we have community groups we have them so it, it is an opportunity for us to to come together and while we can kind of formally call people together, these relationships have to happen as we open up to one another, as we get real with one another, as we pray for one another, as we walk alongside one another, as we call people or text them uh, in, in, you know, throughout the week, in between the times we meet and say, hey, I'm praying for you. What has happened with this thing that you shared? It's, it's living life together. It's forming relationships it's walking alongside. It's this one another. So I encourage you, join a community group. Ask someone how you can pray for them. Follow through and come back later and ask them how things are. I had the privilege this week and I, I sat down and, and I, I try to ask people this. and I, I'm putting myself on record. I'll probably have an encounter with somebody here that's listening to me say this and I'll fail to ask, how can I pray for you? But I try to do that and just a few minutes ago somebody i had asked that of this week said hey you know that thing i asked you to pray about the lord answered that prayer and what a blessing that was for me and it wasn't that i prayed this magical prayer it was god worked and god used that to build their faith and to build mine and i encourage you ask those kinds of questions and see how god will work now you may ask what does this have to do with anointing and healing well As we said, this process is an interesting one. James starts with a sick person who calls the elders, who anoint them and pray over them. And then he offers this bold promise that this prayer of faith will restore the sick one and the Lord will raise him up. So there's a spiritual component to it, bringing forgiveness of sins. But there's a community component to it as well, that there is admonition to confess to one another and pray for others. And so I think this points to the fact that, that we're not just disembodied spiritual beings that, that nor are we so to make so much of our physical needs that we fail to remember that our greatest needs are spiritual. Our physical needs should drive us to prayer and a deeper desire to trust in God. And healing involves our whole being. And God is at work in every trial and circumstance. Even, even in the affliction, the psalmist had the nerve to say, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I kept your word. And he even goes on later in, in Psalm 119 to say, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And so as we, as we alluded to before, recognize that in every circumstance, God is at work. God is at work in your suffering And when you are healed, God is at work in that as well. Let us consider also in this process the oil. What is it and what does it mean? And I don't want to take too much time on this, but I think we need to give kind of a a step into that just a little bit to understand what it is. Now, first of all, we have to say what it is not, that it is not a sacramental thing like what is taught in the Roman Catholic Church. It's not that there's some mystical or magical power in the oil or in the person administering it the the roman catholic church has taken this text and elevated it and this practice into one of their seven so-called sacraments and they call it extreme unction Um, and they restrict this function only to a priest and typically restrict it to those who are dying and i want to say kindly that is not what this text teaches Moving on, some have said that this is strictly medicinal, that this oil is, just has a medicinal uh, application and because it was in the first century and they didn't have the modern medicine that we have, that, that this was an application of, of medical uh, practice upon a, a sick one. Well, I think we do need to say that, that there was a medicinal um, aspect to it in Bible times. Remember the good Samaritan, what did he do when, the, when he found this person bruised and bleeding along the road? He, he bound their wounds, wounds and poured on oil and wine, scripture says. So there is that aspect of it, but I think this is more than, than simply that here in this text. We should also say, and let me just say this briefly, that this text is not telling us not to use uh, modern medicine. Um, it does not preclude the use of modern medicine, and, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go to the doctor. Um, if you need surgery, don't call the elders for that. Call the doctor. But if you're going to surgery and want the elders to pray over you, we will. We certainly will. So what is the significance of the oil? Well, if you look in all of Scripture, if you look primarily in the Old Testament, you see that that men were set apart for service by the anointing with oil. Prophets, priests and kings, and what it was, it was a way of showing that they were marked out for a special work of the spirit in and through them, in the office that they were were being anointed to. So there's a symbolic element of the oil that God has set this person apart for his glory and for the work of the spirit. And so James has given us this process, showing us that the sick person, the elders and the church, and the oil. And and he's saying that, in a sense, there's a symbolic element of this in which we are saying, Holy Spirit, work in this person in this way. And we're imploring, we're seeking God, and we're asking God to work mightily in this person. So that's a little about the process. Now let's look at the prayer. And it's interesting that That James says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now, this is, remember, it is the sick person that calls for the elders. The elders are the ones that pray this prayer of faith. Now, what is this prayer of faith? Well, I think um, we need to think carefully about it and what it is. I think there's a specific sense in which it applies to this situation, and there's a broader sense in which it applies to all of us. Um, And like I said, I hope to to look at that a little later. Now, some have said, um, one commentator that that I have often found helpful, um, he said that it is a conviction on the part of the elders that it is the will of God to perform this healing. Now, I think we need to be careful in thinking about it in that strict and narrow of a sense. But I do wanna say, I think that can be the case at times. But we also need to recognize that prayer is a commitment to the will of God. And generally speaking, God's will is hidden from us in these type of situations. We don't know what God's will is. And we're going to talk more about that. Um, and, and I think that there's, there's maybe, there's, there's a lot we could say about the prayer of faith. But I'm going to say four things about it. The first one is, is that it presupposes God's sovereignty we have to see james 5 and the and the bold promises that are here in light of the rest of scripture and one scripture that comes to mind is is um, second corinthians 12 where the apostle paul speaks about his thorn in the flesh we we don't know what it is some say it's his eyesight some it, it could have been some chronic illness we don't really know it was in his flesh so we assume it was something physical And what did Paul do? He sought the Lord. He says there, I sought the Lord three times for relief from this. And the answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. The answer was not, here is a healing. It wasn't lightning and thunder. It was simply God saying, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. In God's sovereign plan God was more glorified in Paul's suffering than in Paul's healing. And we have to understand that. God promised to graciously sustain him in his suffering. Now there are those who would say that miraculous healing is always God's will. But I say to them, that fails to consider all of Scripture. And and a Scripture like we just considered here and it fails to recognize that God can and often does call upon us to suffer for his glory and for our growth, growth in grace in and through those sufferings. And, and you know, you, I'm sure you can think of examples of, of, of people who have suffered graciously and have been a great encouragement to others in their suffering as they've grown in grace and they've grown in Christ-likeness in and through their sufferings. But having said that, having spoken about God's sovereignty and how he works, we have to recognize that what this text says, that we should look at this prayer as confident, as powerful, and as a prayer that works. We could say that it is confident. We could pile scripture upon scripture that speaks of the power of prayer and things that should give us confidence in praying. Matthew 7, 7, and 8 says, "...ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks, receives, and to the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. John 14 says, "...whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it." God is glorified in the answering of our prayers. And so we should ask with confidence. 1 John uh, 5 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the results that we have asked of him. These and other scriptures teach us that God delights in answering the prayers of his children. And he has ordained that we cooperate with him as we pray and as he works his sovereign will. What an amazing thought that is, that our prayers cooperate with God's plan. When we pray according to his will, we know that we have the request that we desire of him. He has already given us the greatest thing that we could ask for, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ living in us if we are his children. And as Romans 8, 32 says, In light of that, how will he not also freely give us all things? So this prayer presupposes God's sovereignty. This prayer is confident. Next, we see that this prayer is powerful. When James is speaking here, is the restoration of the sick accomplished by the faith-filled prayers of the elders of the church. But it's not the faith. It's not the elders. It's not a magical prayer. It's not the oil. It's the power of God working through His appointed means to accomplish His glorious work in the lives of His children. Prayer is powerful because God is powerful. That's why we should start our prayers with adoration and praise to remind ourselves of the fact that the God we serve, the God to whom we're praying is the God of creation, the God of redemption, the God who loves us, the God who gave Himself for us. We should fill our prayers with praise to reflect on God's power. And finally, we need to say that this prayer works. Now, let me me say that plainly and simply and share an illustration with you that I heard in a sermon uh, a number of years ago, and I was able to go back and listen to the sermon and get the details a little more. And and what was related, um, and this was a sermon I heard in seminary, but uh, he was relating an account that happened in another PCA church where the pastor had um, a person in their congregation with a viral heart uh, infection, uh, which was very serious, could have proved fatal. The sick man read James five and he called his pastor and he said, would you come and anoint me uh, and pray over me and bring the elders to do that? And he said, they'd never done that in their church. So in true Presbyterian fashion, they took six weeks to study it and prayed the man didn't die. And they decided that this was scriptural, and they took oil, and they came, and they anointed this man, and they prayed over him, and this was what he shared. He said, As soon as we began to pray, I had an overwhelming sense that God was at that moment healing my friend. He described this this heat and energy he felt coming through his body into the sick man's body, and he knew that God was healing him. Now, I don't tell you that to be sensational. I tell you that with some degree of caution because I don't think we should hear these, these spectacular accounts and, and think that it's normative. But neither should we hear these spectacular accounts and think, oh, that didn't happen. Because remember, the God we're serving is the God that answered by fire on Mount Carmel. We are serving the God that still heals. But we also got to have to realize that we don't know how God is going to work. We don't know God's will, and sometimes he is more glorified in our suffering and in not answering that prayer for miraculous healing that we may hope to see. So we have to be careful. We never want to presume that we can follow a magical formula and bring healing anytime we please. What a a chaotic world we would live in if we got everything we wanted. We would be like a child that ate ice cream all the time. that that only got what we thought we needed. But God doesn't always give us what we think we need. He gives us what we truly need. And we have to rest in that. Our healing, in a physical sense, is not guaranteed. But in our concern to stay away from error on one side, we don't want to strip this passage of its power or teaching prayer works and we need to we need to remember that prayer works now prayer doesn't always work in the way we think it should prayer doesn't always get answered in the way we want it to in our finite and somewhat sinful mind so we need to remember that god is at work and he is working all things for his glory and for our good We should never assume that God has failed his promise if we do not see the miraculous healing that we think a person needs. And I think that's why James is a bit ambiguous ambiguous in in talking about this, this healing and kind of weaving in the spiritual aspects of it when he's talking about healing from a sickness. God is working much more in us than we can see. And if he chooses to allow us to suffer as he did the Apostle Paul then we need to say, his grace is sufficient. And really, the essence of prayer is, thy will be done. And really, the Lord Jesus in his prayers really reached its apex in that prayer that he prayed in Gethsemane. And that was really all he prayed in the end, is thy will be done. He gave that to his disciples to say in the model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can and should pray for healing from our physical ailments, but we should always realize that our greatest needs, our true needs, are spiritual and that God is working all things for good, even in the sufferings, even in the pain, even in the darkness. For what good is a physical healing if we go away and do not bring God glory or grow from it? So we need to realize this prayer of faith is a trusting prayer that places the sick and the suffering one completely and fully upon the omnipotent, sovereign, and faithful promises of God. It's to place them in the gracious security of our loving Father who has promised that nothing shall separate us from His love and that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Jesus Christ finally james gives us an example and we want to look at this briefly um, this example of elijah james has already given us examples he's he's very much influenced by the old testament you see threads of 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 allusions to old testament figures there Um, he's talked about abraham he's talked about rahab he's talked about job in relation to steadfastness and patience and here he points us to the prophet elijah now We know about Elijah. He was a courageous voice in his day. He spoke out against idolatry. God used him mightily in the showdown on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. Um, We read of his his exploits. We read of his his fantastic departure from the earth. And, And he was a man who loomed large upon the horizon of the first century Jew. And he does for us as well as we read the Old Testament. And, so, and we can look at this as... Uh, and, and we can kind of say, wow, I, I could never be like Elijah. Well, James is not saying be like Elijah in these miracles. James is saying Elijah was a man like us in certain ways. And let's, let's look briefly at those. Now, if we look at James or at 1 Kings 17 and 18, which covers this period of, of drought that uh, James talks about here. Um, <clears throat> we see that, that even in those two chapters, there's spectacular things that God does through, through Elijah. But James is really pointing us to the fact that we have access to God in prayer. Elijah was a man like us. He was strong and resolute at times. He could call out sin boldly, but there were also times he was depressed and on the run. We read in, I think it's in uh, 1 Kings 19, where he's running from Jezebel. And he's actually praying that God would take his life because he was despairing of life. He was in a low and a dark place. But what Elijah was able to do, and I think one of the things we need to take away from this text, is the fact that Elijah could pray in every situation. Even in the dark times, even when he was afraid, even when he was on the run, he was praying. And we need to do that too. We need to pray when it's hardest to pray. When it's hardest to pray, we need to pray the hardest. And I know that's hard, but that's why we need each other. We need to call somebody or text somebody and say, hey, I'm struggling this today. I'm struggling in this way. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? So I think there's, that's, that's one of the things we need to think about. The other thing about Elijah and this instance that James points to about this drought is really what Elijah was doing was he was asking God to fulfill his promises Elijah saw the wickedness of the land Elijah knew what God had said in Deuteronomy because remember Deuteronomy is where the people were about to go into the land and God said I'm giving you this land but you need to be faithful to me You need to be faithful to the covenant that I have established with you. Because if you do, here's the blessings you'll find. And if you don't, here's the curses. And one of those curses that we see in Deuteronomy is drought upon your crops. So what was was Elijah doing? He was saying, Lord, these people are sinning. These people are breaking your covenant. So Lord, fulfill your promise, even in this hard way, Fulfill your promise to bring drought upon this land. And we need to be like Elijah. And we can stand on God's promises and pray his promises back to him. And say, Lord, fulfill your promises for me. You've promised never to leave me or forsake me. You've promised you'll always be with us. You've promised to give us good. And we need to pray God's promises from scripture back to him. And I think there is a a lesson from Elijah for us in that. As we close, I want us to look at the part of this verse that is perhaps the most familiar to you. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Or as the old King James that I memorized as a child, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I think we need to remember that we should pray fervently. We do need to seek the Lord with earnest passion We need to be keenly aware of our own needs and we need to pray that God would show us our hearts so that we can pray effectively. And we need to to bring the needs of others to God with the enthusiasm and devotion that fits that need. We need to seek the Lord persistently. We need to confess our sins. And we need to seek to have hearts that are pure before the Lord. But we need to know that this righteous person that we fall so short of being that righteous person. And even though we seek to obey God's law, we fall short. And it is only as we trust in the truly righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we can pray effectively. Because it is he that is risen, it is he that has ascended, and it is he that ever lives to make intercession for us. When we pray, we are praying in Jesus' name, based upon his intercession before the Father. What a blessing and what a comfort that is, because we can pray with boldness, because we know that our feeble prayers are being presented by our advocate and intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's our takeaways? Well, there's a lot that we can say, and I hope that, that there's some practical things that we can take away. One is, as I've already said, seek to have strong connections in the church. That helps your prayer life, believe it or not. When you have the kind of relationships where you're praying for one another, that builds your faith in God. And seek to grow your own prayer life. I'm not here just to beat you over the head with a stick and say pray more, although we often do need to pray more. But let me just encourage you, pray wherever you are. In whatever situation you find yourself, it's always appropriate to pray. Pray in the little minutes, in, in, when you're standing in line at the grocery store, when you're driving your car, when you're doing the dishes, when you're, when you're standing on the side of a pond waiting for the fish to bite. Whatever you're doing, pray. Take small moments like that to pray. And don't be afraid of short prayers. The devil loves to beat us up because we often fail to pray to pray or carve out the time in our day to pray rightly. But don't be afraid to pray a short prayer that that is really from the heart. Because I have to confess, I have had longer seasons of prayer where I've been drowsy and distracted, but I've also had short seasons of prayer that have been very effective because of God's work in me in that moment and seeking to be engaged. So don't be afraid of short prayers also i'll I'll encourage you get a prayer partner have someone that you can say i'm struggling would you pray with me and make prayer part of your interactions with other people if you're standing outside as you're getting ready to leave the church for this morning or or any other morning and and somebody shares a need you know we can say i'll pray for you and sometimes we fail to do that but sometimes the best thing to do is simply to say can i pray for you right now and that might be, you know, some people might kind of take a step back and, 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 and be a little scared by that. But it, it helps us remember that God is with us everywhere. And that in that moment, we can encourage one another and, and ask the Father to care for and meet the needs of those that, that are suffering around them, around us. And finally, let me just say this. Get real with one another. Be honest. Don't be afraid to share your struggles. And and, and make your prayer requests reflect the reality of life. Often we pray for one another in our physical struggles, and we should. But we need to realize that, that God is at work much more than just healing our bodies. Everybody here is going to die. We are not going to live eternally upon this earth. Now, in, with Jesus, yes, okay? But, but we need to recognize that that every one of us have a terminal condition okay and so we're not going to live forever and we need to realize that while the physical is important the spiritual is what we need to reflect upon more so there's nothing wrong with praying for healing but we need to pray that 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 the person that maybe is facing surgery that they would be at peace that their faith would grow i mean you could pray for a lot of different details of that situation but we need to pray that God would work in and through that to grow his people in Christ's likeness. Finally, let me say this as I close. This message is about prayer. This message is to the church. And if you are here and have not come to faith in Christ, if you are here and have not submitted yourself to the Lordship of Christ, then the prayer that you need to pray is, God, be merciful to me. A sinner because as believers in Christ as children of God we have enormous access to God to all the riches and resources that he has for us but if you are outside of Christ you unfortunately are facing God's wrath and not his kindness so I beg of you come to Christ if you don't know him as your Savior come to the Lord Jesus this morning pray that he would forgive you of your sins and resign yourself to him as your Lord. Let us pray.